More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. This debt ceiling battle is going to count for months of, uh, account for months, I would say, of news media stories before ultimately it gets resolved, spoiler alert, without the United States defaulting and collapsing as a business. Just just going to let you know. There is going to be a resolution at some point. Now, what's become increasingly clear is there are actually lots of Democrats, particularly in the Senate, that seem willing to negotiate on this debt ceiling-related issue. And if that is true, then there is a pretty good amount of leverage that Republicans have here if Republicans remain steadfast. But, Buck, the story here on the debt ceiling is, to me, really missing the bigger story, which is, you talked about this yesterday, and I was reading the the Wall Street Journal this morning. They have a graphic. I'm going to tweet it out for people to look at. We had a $5 trillion national debt at the beginning of 2000, right? Which means, for our nation's entire history, from 1783, when we became an independent country, until 2020, we had built up a $5 trillion national debt. Since 2000, we have taken a $5 trillion national debt, and it is now over $31 trillion. So in the space of 20 years, roughly, we have added over $25 trillion to our national debt. And that's an average, rough math, of over a trillion dollars a year that we are adding to the national debt. And I think we're on pace so far this year to add around a trillion and a half dollars to the national debt. And it got me thinking several things. One, you may know the answer to this. What comes after trillion? You know, we go million, billion, trillion without looking it up. No, I have to look it up. I don't know. No, no, I'm going to guess. Is it gazillion? 
Is that a real thing? No, that's a made-up one. It's a quadrillion. So it's trillion is like try, so quadrillion like four. So you you have to look it up. I bet almost no one out there knows because we keep – and the reason why I bring this up is I don't think it's crazy to believe that in the lifetime of many of you out there listening and maybe in the next generation when you start to factor in the rate of interest payments and how much that's going to balloon and expand our national debt – we're rapidly advancing towards a hundred trillion dollar national debt, Buck. Well, well, I think it's I think it's worth asking if there's no downside to the debt, why care at all? Right? Because what's interesting yes. is when when you bring this up, people will say, "Oh, Republicans complain about the debt; it's not a big deal." You know, you'll hear this, and whether it's Paul Krugman at the New York Times or any other uh, leftist economists out there who will offer up their credentials as a means of covering up for the very basic and straightforward reality of this is about math, this is about numbers, and it's a really big number that does have implications for everybody and for the economy. Uh, the same reason why you can say to people, well, if you don't think that you know money printing is bad, why not just give every American, I know they just said that they should give every African American $5 million yeah. in reparations you know, in California, you know, that would be on a smaller scale, but you could give every American just a million dollars or five million dollars. What's the downside? Well, we know that you would effectively destroy the entire value of the currency itself. Yes. So we know that can happen. And I wonder at what point we're at that stage with the debt where you talk about what could go wrong here. What are the bad things from? I do this with immigration with people, illegal immigration with people all the time. Because I'll say it's not a big deal or like, you know, these are, you know, it's a nation of immigrants and we need the dreamers. And I say, okay. Is there any downside? Let's talk about the downside first. Is there any downside? And once they admit there's a downside, you say, well, obviously the downside is exacerbated by an increase in the numbers, right? So if you can establish that something bad happens in some level, the more of that you have, the more of the bad side you're going to have. If you can establish with the debt that you're going to have increasing payments on the money you've already paid, and that that brings the number up even more. Yes. And that this is going to crowd out private investment, private spending in the economy. This is going to be a burden, a debt burden that future generations are going to have to service for things that they get no benefit from. And the political instability that comes from that. If we can agree on all of those things, 40 trillion, 50 trillion sounds like a lot of money to me, Clay. Yes. And you mentioned Paul Krugman. I'm glad you did. His New York Times editorial this morning refers to Republicans who are opposed to raising the debt ceiling as economic terrorists. Oh, in my the headline. God. <laughs> I didn't in even the see headline. this. Yes. Uh, Literally in the print newspaper headline. I don't know if they've changed it digitally online. I meant to take a picture of it and tweet it out. Um, but, yes, my newspaper this morning, I'm sitting there reading, as I do every morning, the New York Times and then the Wall Street Journal or vice versa, you know, old school, old man, print school copy, um, and, uh, and I, just to know what everybody's saying. And Paul Krugman says that you can't negotiate that these are economic terrorists in the Republican party who are attempting to, uh, question the amount of money that's being spent. And so I think what we're going to get, Buck, I, I think we are moving towards an era. This is my theory. Clinton and Newt Gingrich hammered out a budget that actually ended. Remember that we had a surplus. Like, we were actually bringing in more money than we were spending, and our national debt actually started to go down. And I think that was like 97, 98, 99, more of my argument, Buck, 
that the late 90s were the greatest moments in American history. Um, and then in the 2000s, 9-11 happens, budgets get blown up, and since then, we've basically allowed ourselves to believe one crisis after another justifies as much spending as 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 we feel like uh, we want to toss out there, right? And Joe Biden was willing to spend $5 trillion more dollars, even though it took us to double-digit inflation. And so I wonder if there's going to be a sort of acknowledgement of, hey, this is a big issue, and we have to resolve it, and the debt ceiling is really just a prelude to a more substantive conversation about a much bigger issue. Interesting in this uh, exchange in the uh, the New York Times I'm seeing, they had an, an opinion an opinion section piece where they had, I think it was a podcast, they did a transcript of it, and they make the case that uh, for this is from this transcript for Republicans, the showdown in 2011, they're referring to previous debt ceiling fights, was the signal achievement of the Tea Party staring down President Barack Obama and forcing the cuts associated with the Budget Control Act. It validated one of the animating forces of the right over the past decade um, that the party's failures are a result of weak, feckless leadership. And if they fight, they win. For Democrats, this is this guy Donovan saying this, for Democrats, including Joe Biden, who as vice president had a front row seat to that deal, it was evidence of why you should never negotiate under these circumstances because it enables and encourages more hostage taking. Um, so, you know, what I think is interesting, though, about about how they frame this is that, Clay, OK, Republicans, the Budget Control Act. For people who actually remember the Budget Control Act, and I'm going to say this is part of why I think the Tea Party started to lose a little bit of steam. The Budget Control Act was a reduction in the amount of increase in federal spending. Yeah. It wasn't actually a net decrease in all federal spending. The Budget Control Act was we were going to increase it by, you know, whatever it was, a few percentage points, which in the context of a multi-trillion dollar federal budget is a massive amount of money. We're going to drop that down a little bit. So instead of increasing the budget, you know, 3%, we're going to incre- increase it 2.5% or 2%. I forget what the numbers were. But that's what that huge fight was over. A decrease in the increase. Yes. Well, and, and that's well said. And remember, for, you know, just back of the envelope math here, and I'm far from an economist, but the amount that we have to spend on Social Security and Medicare continues to grow. And it's growing now much faster because the cost of living increases have to take into account the massive rate of inflation. So we're getting a big hit there to our budget. Simultaneously, we are hitting monster numbers as it pertains to the 5%, soon to be 5%, I believe, overall interest rate. You know, And, and Buck, this is one of the things that I think Trump floated that was brilliant that got almost no attention, Trump said, hey, why wouldn't we go ahead and refi our... And again, I don't know all of the economic uh, you know, involvement here, but he said, why wouldn't we lock in the rate of our national debt, the money that we have borrowed, at like 0 or 1% interest when that was the rate, instead of allowing it to float, almost like, uh, you know, if you're a... Uh, if if you're taking out a mortgage and you've got a 3% mortgage, one reason the housing market has, has frozen is a lot of people have a 3% mortgage and they're like, why in the world would I move and take a 7% mortgage? It's going to cost me way more money, even if I like a new house better. Why wouldn't we have locked in? 
if it's possible, and Trump floated the idea, and I thought it was brilliant, our national interest rate like you would lock in a mortgage when the rates were really low. I know this will sound sweeping because it is, uh, and it's not true in all cases, but I think it is fair to say that our political leadership class, whether it's in the White House or, or in Congress, is generally mathematically and financially illiterate. Well, yes. There's that, too. Not yeah. all of them, obviously, but a lot of them. And actually, one of the things that Trump brought to the table was an understanding of certainly business on the financial side of things. And this is why, to this day, I sit around and I go, no one ever gives Trump credit for the fact that the Biden trade policy vis-a-vis China is the Trump trade policy. Yes. Remember, they were saying, he's going to start a trade war. He's going to destroy the economy. People like Krugman, by the way, saying yes. that. Trump was 100% right on that stuff. Yeah, and it is funny. You're right. Biden hasn't even touched it. And nope. you know what uh, the reality is? If Biden had come in and just continued to run all Trump policies in every facet, the country would be infinitely better off in every single arena. Really, think about it. Uh, in the meantime, I got to tell you, uh, my pillow, uh, they will hook you up. They got pillows, mattress covers, sheets. They can help with everything. They've got the Giza Dream Sheets, though, which are absolutely phenomenal. They may be the secret gem in all this. They arrive soft, only get softer over time while still maintaining their great look and structure. I slept on them last night. I sleep on them every night. So do my boys. You'll love them. It's Giza Cotton. It is phenomenal. And remember, my pillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. It's all this Giza Dream Sheets, less than $30 a set. Two full months to determine if these aren't the most comfortable sheets you can sleep on. You can go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials to check out this flash sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. Use our names as the promo code Clay and Buck. You can also call 800-792-3269. That's MyPillow.com, 800-792-3269. Get to know the guys outside the issues. Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck, a new podcast. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time... 
with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. As we found, uh, we found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. There's no there there except the documents were there and there and there. Classified documents that Joe Biden left in various places. I do think it's hard for us not to take a a moment here to remember that it was just a few months ago that we were told, uh, what was it, in August of last year, that what Donald Trump had done keeping documents that he says he declassified when he was president, which he has the full authority as president to do in a locked storage area of Mar-a-Lago that apparently included something written on a napkin. I don't know. I just I don't buy that the nuclear codes were written on a napkin. I'm just going to say it. I, I don't think that our most sensitive assets were all written on the back of a cocktail napkin. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, but they made a huge deal of it. They, they have a, a special counsel, a component of a special counsel investigation over this issue. And now Joe Biden's trying to tell everybody it's no, it's no big deal. Now, my contention with all of this is it, I, I still think, and this is subject to change, events can overtake analysis on this. I still believe that Joe Biden is going to run. I still believe that Joe Biden, um, is going to be able to get past this classified document story i don't think this is the thing that brings joe biden down that's my belief i could be wrong but i believe that they're going to run this special counsel investigation and the the system knows what to do here just like the system at some level with hillary did what it had to do to protect her when she was running but then there's this other stuff that keeps percolating clay a little more comes out a little more comes out this is from the daily mail it's an exclusive. All in the family, Joe Biden is named in a 2017 email discussing multi-million dollar gas deal with China with a Louisiana lawyer writing to Brother Jim that he arranged a call with the former vice president and his son Hunter to discuss the purchase. Now, I understand that it's easy to get kind of lost into some of these details. We've heard a lot of stuff about the Biden crime family before and what it's up to. But I think we're starting to get closer and closer to it becomes inevitable for people to realize that Joe Biden was not just the name they were selling. 
that Joe Biden was himself part of the access peddling scheme, knew about it, lied about knowing about it. And this is this is corrupt. I mean, at a minimum, there should be a political price that you would think has to be paid as a result of this. I think Joe Biden thought his political career was over. That's the the sort of linchpin of why all of this would have occurred with Hunter and decided I've had my tenure in the United States government. Now it's time to make money. And I think he flipped aggressively to let's make money and have some legacy for the Biden family to show for the 40 plus years that we spent in office. And I don't think he ever contemplated that he was going to be running for president necessarily. I just don't think he thought there was a, a lane for him to be elected president in 2017 and 2018 when all of these activities and actions were on, were ongoing. And Buck, I'll just point out, there are the photos and videos of Hunter Biden driving Joe Biden's Corvette, the Corvette that we know because Joe Biden said it himself, was in the garage alongside of the classified documents that were in his home. That should be out there. Remember, you mentioned this a little bit ago. After the Mar-a-Lago raid, I think we talked about this. We said, oh, you know what, there's going to be, they're going to argue that these are incredibly dangerous documents. They came out and said, you know, nuclear codes, like all this. What were the documents that everybody had access to in Joe Biden's garage and how many other places were these documents stored, and why would he have them, right? My argument here has been somebody knew that Biden had something he wasn't supposed to have, and that's why they had $1,000 an hour attorneys going through these documents. Because remember, Buck, the first argument they put out was, well, we just discovered these in the process of closing down that office at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C., but then the details didn't really make sense. How did you discover them? Well, a lawyer found an envelope, and then he opened that envelope, and he pulled the papers out, and he saw that they had classified markings on them. Why did you have a lawyer who was making $1,000 an hour going through your documents? You, that's Moving's not fun. Moving with uh, movers who cost $1,000 an hour uh, individually. That would really be not fun. That's, that's a really, I, I got news a really for crappy you. move. I got news for you again. I'm an expert move I'm an expert in making scrambled eggs and moving apartments. Uh these are things I've done far too many times. The 20% suggested tip in cash at the end of the move is not really suggested. Like all of a sudden your tra- you know your your prized vase is going to have a crack in it. You you got to pay the guys. I look they were I will say one of the jobs that I believe I- I'm amazed at how hard people work is movers. Oh, moving yeah. is one of those jobs where I'm just like, so I'm I'm happy to pay their their, but I just think it's funny because there's always and it's always in cash and it's twenty percent. It's at the oh, end. Yeah. They've earned every penny, but there's no like, yeah, I think we're gonna do like a ten percent. No, 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 it's twenty percent. So that hasn't been explained. You have a thousand dollar attorney who is opening envelopes and finding classified documents. So what's he looking for? What do these documents consist of? And how many people had access to them? Those are really pretty integral questions. You know, there's there's stonewalling that the White House is engaging in, and I think, unfortunately, they're going to be able to, as they always are, get away with it to a large extent. I don't think we should overpromise what's likely to come out of all this because the the media apparatus is still, for now, they're still behind Biden. I think there's been a little bit of a jump, a little too soon on our side to, oh, this is 
This is an internal coup to push Biden out. I know that was a first impulse a lot of people had. Um, I, I don't think this is that. I think this is Joe Biden. Now, and by the way, I've changed my thinking on this the more I've, I've gone through it. So I don't pretend that this is an obvious answer or that I'm definitely right. But I just think Joe Biden is a buffoon. Yes. And now they're trying to play. I think this is clean up on aisle Biden. And it's just not an easy thing to clean up because of the Mar-a-Lago doc you know, imbroglio specifically. And so they're trying to figure this out. Now, could this have the effect down the line of helping to pressure Biden to not run again? Yeah, sure, maybe. But I don't think, you know, especially when people said, oh, you know, maybe they put the documents there. No, they have all, I think they have all the leverage they need with Hunter. And that's a much more clear path to the apparatus pushing Joe aside. This document thing, He's going to be able to ride this one out, just like Hillary. Look, just like Trump. I mean, there's a controversy over the documents. You can say Trump's not in the wrong or only a little bit in the wrong, but there there were classified documents there that they had to turn over. So I just don't see – I don't think this is the end. That's that's I, my sense. I, I particularly – I agree with you, and I particularly think that, Buck, because the person who they would have in the wings waiting to take over is worse than Joe Biden. So I think Democrats are trying to forestall the battle that eventually they're going to have to have – to keep Kamala from being the nominee because she's such a disastrous candidate. In fact, when we come back in the next segment, I have a theory that Kamala Harris's speechwriters all hate her and regularly put things in the speech for her to read that they know is going to look and sound awful. And if the vice president for Joe Biden, like let, let's presume Barack Obama was Joe Biden's vice president right now, I think 100% there would be a mechanism underway to try to knock Biden out so Joe Biden didn't run and Barack Obama could run. If there was an extremely able vice president, I would buy into that argument. The problem is, if you knock Biden out, the later that it takes to knock Biden out, Buck, the more guaranteed it is that it's Kamala who would basically just take the baton, right? Because if Biden suddenly came out in July or August and said, hey, guys, I'm not running for re-election next year, it would be such a rapid turnaround. Nobody would have the infrastructure or the campaigns up to be able to run, so Kamala would get that baton. If there were somebody really uh, capable behind him, I might buy into that. I don't hear. But this Kamala talking about electricity, I think everybody's going to love it. Something else going on today in D.C. I wanted to tell you all about. Many of you already know, today in D.C. is the March for Life. We do that march in the pro-life community every year, right? And we're a part of it in a sense because we're fighting for life every day on this program in partnership with the pre-born pregnancy clinics. Pre-born pregnancy clinics offer mothers who are considering an abortion an alternative to give their babies life. These mothers are making a difficult decision, and pre-born is there to provide care and compassion and support. They start that relationship by offering an ultrasound, allowing the mother to hear the heartbeat and see the precious life growing inside her. So often that experience, that introduction between mother and child makes her twice as likely to choose life. But preborn doesn't stop there. The preborn clinics provide mothers with counseling, diapers, baby clothes, and assistance for up to two years. All of this happens because of your donations, you, the pro-life community. An ultrasound is just $28. That's where this all starts. Get involved today with a donation in that amount if you can. Just $28. A hundred percent of your gift goes to saving the lives of unborn children. With your help and that of others, Preborn has saved the lives of hundreds of thousands 
of unborn babies who were born. Use your phone, dial pound 250, and say the keyword baby. Again, from your phone, dial pound 250, say the word baby, or donate at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. All gifts are tax deductible and put to valuable use. Sponsored by Preborn. The voices of sanity in an insane world. Second hour of Clay and Buckets going right now, everybody. And we had started off today talking about how they're telling us they couldn't find the leaker of the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court. Big implications from that. We all recall a crazy person showed up outside of Kavanaugh's house saying he wanted to assassinate a Supreme Court justice. There was pressure brought to bear because of this leak, and there were risks and there were dangers out there as a result. No leaker found. What happened here? Do we trust that they turned over every stone? Shannon Bream is with us. She is Fox News's uh, chief Supreme Court legal analyst. Shannon, great to have you on. It is my pleasure, Buck. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since we talked to you. We always uh, always are very happy when you get a moment to, to join us here, Shannon. I, I just wanted really your – we can get into some of the details and some of uh, what you think the implications of this will be down the line. But first, what was your 30,000-foot view when the announcement came out? No, Nothing. They didn't find mm-hmm. out who did this. Yeah, and they say that they'll keep following leads and looking at things that they have. But it sounded to me like they got nothing because – The wording of the statement from the court said, after everything we've done, forensic, IT audits, cell phones, texts, sworn affidavits, interviews, um, we could not find anyone by a preponderance of the evidence, which you know that's such a low standard. It's basically that something is more... Thanks for coming on. Uh, First of all, I'm going to give you some props. This is a big deal. Uh, You are killing it on Fox News Sunday as the host. If people haven't checked it out, they should. Thank you. And you are going to be doing your show from the end zone of the Super Bowl. Now, I know your husband. He's fantastic. <laughs> is that maybe the thing he's most impressed that you have ever pulled off in your career to get to do a show from the Super Bowl end zone uh, on the Sunday of Super Bowl Sunday? Probably so, although he's much less impressed with my football skills. He actually bought me a Nerf football and is making me throw it because there's talk that I may have to do some of these NFL drills or something while we're there. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to so pull a Fauci on the on the baseball toss, Shannon. you got to get the arm loose and get a little bit of practice have, out there. I've not mastered the spiral, that's for sure. Um, so Buck and I were talking, so congratulations on all that. Buck Thank and you. I were talking um, in the first hour, and, and he was reading through, and, and I'm sure you did as well, even if they had found the person, the criminal behavior is a bit of a stretch in terms of what they could be charged with. Do you think there might be any motivation in the wake of this leak to potentially have a statute drafted that would make it criminal to engage in behavior like this as a further sign, not just to break the Supreme Court mores and traditions, but also in the similar way that if you worked at the CIA or the FBI and you were caught leaking internally, that that might make it clear that it's a criminal offense. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally get it. And that's um, a great question because there are laws out there that have to do with handling classified information. A Supreme Court document, a draft of an opinion is not considered classified. 
there are codes, ethics, codes, those kinds of things, but not necessarily a criminal penalty for disclosing something that's um, secret information at the Supreme Court. Um, that's another reason that people have questions. Listen, this, the Chief Justice kept it in-house. They wanted the marshal inside the Supreme Court to handle this. But there's also this question of, okay, if you brought in the FBI or DOJ, which I can understand the reasons the S, um, SCOTUS may not want to do that, but then if somebody lies to a federal agent or investigator, that's a whole different issue versus, listen, you can still get in trouble for signing a sworn statement, which they say everybody they interviewed did, and they all did that under penalty of perjury and denied that they leaked the document. But, you know, when you bring in a federal agent, I think that that turns up the temperature. And for whatever reason, the chief said, we're not going to do that. So, Shannon, it sounds like they could have gone a little a little more all out here than they did at a minimum, right? I mean, whether they were even willing to, to chase it um, in every way they could with what they deployed here, they decided not to go with the full heat that they could. Well, what's tricky is you have classes of clerks, as you guys know, they serve a year there, and they generally cycle in and out in July. So anybody who left in July of 2022 was no longer under the reach of this investigation because it was being done internally of Supreme Court employees. And once they were gone, um, who knows if it involved a clerk or not, but if it did, you've now lost the ability to pursue that any further. So that may be a gaping hole for a lot of people that you would think, okay, they're a, a logical place to look. They potentially have different motivations. They may be completely in the clear, but once they left in July, this internal investigation had no way to reach them. Shannon, I'm curious how you would assess this. Buck and I were also talking about, hey, if you're a journalist and a draft opinion gets dropped into your lap, one of the first things I would think uh, is, okay, am I getting set up? Because there are mm -hmm. lots of different opinions that could or could not be valid. It's also possible, you well know, every major law firm in the country could have somebody draft one, right? I mean, it's not mm -hmm. uh, an exact science of what these things will look like. So if I'm Politico, it's not only that I've got the draft, it's that whoever is giving me the draft has to be so supremely reliable that I'm willing to go out there on a limb because you're probably not going to get any confirmation, right? Like It's not like you can call them up and be like, hey, Supreme Court, we got its draft opinion. The Supreme Court's not going to say, yeah, it's accurate or inaccurate. Don't Doesn't that lead you to believe that whatever route by which this opinion got to them Politico felt like, okay, this is a slam dunk. This is 100% real. Yeah, and it makes it feel like it lends credence to the theory that it was an inside job. Also, because the, the report we got from the Supreme Court yesterday said we went through all of our IT, we used all the forensics we've had, and we found it's highly unlikely that someone breached our system from outside or yep. that this was a hack, which is essentially them saying, too, again, it sounds like it's an inside job. And you're right. If I'm a reporter and somebody brings it to me, um, your every alarm and bell and whistle is going to go off in your head unless you are convinced that person had direct access to it. And we know from this report there were 82 different people who did. Yeah, you don't you don't want to get Dan Rather National Guard documented on this one. So. Well, yeah, no, you don't. right. Yeah, big, you big do deal. Not. For and I sure. like the way you describe that as if it's its own like dictionary entry. I think it you kind of is at this point, right? You got you got Dan Rather, you got Dan Rather. You ran with the fake docs, and now you got to pay the price. Shannon, yeah, in terms of the, the the long term, uh, we're speaking to Shannon Bream, Fox News is uh, chief judicial, uh, uh, chief Supreme Court analyst. Um, Shannon, the, uh, the 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 court going forward. Do you think that people 
were we all just kind of aware that it was very politicized before this and so this doesn't do much or do you think this has really sh- shifted and shaped perception about a willingness to use the court and really abuse the court as a weapon of politics yeah, and listen, the court, um, it goes through waves of people who don't like it, whether your party appointees are sort of in the majority or they're in the minority. People, you know, will have all kinds of very distinct uh, criticisms of the court. Right now, Democrats don't like it. They are in the minority when it comes to their party's nominees. And so they talk constantly about packing the court, about doing things to the court so that it won't be political, whereas you have members of the court, including Justice Stephen Breyer, who was on the left of the court, say, when you start to do stuff like that, it does politicize the court, and it does make the court look political. So, uh, listen, there are people who are – they've been split over Roe v. Wade for 50 years, and so no matter what the court did, the other side was going to view it as political you know, the substance of the decision, aside from the fact that it was leaked, but that's the absolute last thing the justices over there want. And they're very sensitive to that. You know, any portrayal of them as being partisan. Shannon, we're sitting at 5149 for theoretically the next two years, assuming people stay healthy and all those things. There seems to be a certain amount of pressure that is get ratcheting, getting ratcheted up on some of the older justices. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
is on the left wing, even though they aren't particularly that old, with the idea mm-hmm. being you look at that map, 2024 Senate majority seems like it's really going to be in peril. Maybe the uh, Democrats dodged one here. Do you get the sense that Joe Biden might have the chance to appoint another justice, or do you think everybody's basically going to stay locked in, even though it may be a while until we have a Democrat Senate and a Democrat president mm-hmm. both in office? Yeah, I think all the appointees, all the current justices on the court have very much invested in staying put as long as they possibly can for various reasons that make sense based on, you know, the party that put them there. Um, the justices on the left side, I mean, they're relatively young in terms of Supreme Court justices. So absent something that forced them to step down, I don't see them going anywhere. You remember the enormous pressure that was on Justice Ginsburg to step down before yep. you know President Trump's election. She was into her 80s and saying, you know, get lost. I'm not going anywhere. So, you know, there's always speculation, too, about um, the Republican appointees. They are, by and large, older than the other side of the bench, but they're going to do everything they can to hang on through the next presidential election, no doubt. Shannon Bream, everybody. Shannon, appreciate you joining us, and you should check out Shannon's show and look for her on Fox News. Shannon, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Rising inflation, a volatile stock market wreaking havoc on retirement accounts. Until economic uncertainty turns around, the Phoenix Capital Group suggests you diversify your investments. They're introducing investors to high-value oil and gas right here in the U.S., oil and gas investments, with a current yield ranging from 8% to 11% APY paid monthly. These are corporate bond offerings, and they're open to all investors with that annual interest paid monthly. The Phoenix Capital Group offers live webinars to learn about Phoenix's business structure, ways they offer uh, security for the offerings, risks, and their financials. They host live Q&As where they'll answer all of your questions. Sign up at investingwithphx.com or call 323-PHOENIX. Investment in bonds has a certain risk before making investment decisions. You should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Sign up today at investingwithphx.com. Again, that website is investing with phx.com or if you want to call them on the phone the number is 323 phoenix that's 323 p-h-o-e-n-i-x clay travis and buck sexton voices of sanity in an insane world welcome in clay travis buck sexton show appreciate all of you hanging out with us 14 hours up 14 hours down this is the 15th hour as we roll into the weekend. Encourage all of you to go subscribe. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Podcast, lots of unique and special offerings coming your way in 2023 that will be podcast exclusives. Buck's doing interviews. I'm doing interviews. We're doing interviews. Lots of stuff that will not be appearing on the radio show. If you like what you're hearing, we will have lots of unique things for you all for free on the podcast network. So, for example, I did a long-form sit-down this week with, which just means a long chat covering a whole range of things, uh, with Oren McIntyre from The Blaze. Really smart guy. If you want a bunch of wonky political science book recommendations, we just could, I had to, like, slow him down. He was just rattling them off, rattling them off. He's at The Blaze, where I started my media career, so I'm very fond of the of The Blaze and very thankful to Glenn Beck always. Um, but uh, also talk to Ann Coulter, which I know for some of you, super exciting conversation you want to hear. Some others of you, I don't know, maybe you want to check it out. Maybe you might disagree with some of what Miss Coulter puts out there with the Coulter flamethrower, but uh, she doesn't mess around. And also our friend uh, Carolyn Levitt, who ran that, that valiant campaign in New Hampshire, but she's a up-and-coming, well, 
media personality and uh, Gen Z, Gen Z, not even millennial, Gen Z right winger. And she really tries to sell me on New Hampshire as an amazing state. How much time have I've spent? I think I've been to New Hampshire twice. I don't know it. I don't know it well enough to have a real informed opinion is what I would say about it. So she tries to sell me. Have you spent much time up in New Hampshire? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, um, Battles of Lexington and Concord were in New Hampshire, right? I, I think I'm correct in that. The start of the Revolutionary War. Massachusetts. Club. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's a big whiff by me. In fact, like that might be my biggest historical whiff of all time. Because clearly you drive from Boston out there. But th- the point on this is I haven't spent very much time in the uh, in the Northeast. Uh, in, like, I would say the New England states. So I'm trying to think. I've flown into Manchester a few times. But I don't think I've ever really spent any time going around in New Hampshire. Now, I've been to Maine. I've been to Massachusetts. But not a lot of time in the New England states. And I am just in, in, in disbelief that I got Lexington and Concord wrong. And thought that they were in New Hampshire instead That's of in right. Massachusetts. You're a, you're a Civil War guy. That's Revolutionary I, War. I you know. know I right. know that that is a, that is a whiff. Um. So, uh, yes. And I'm by the way interviewing Alexi Lawless today. You'll be able to hear a conversation with Alexi Lawless. Obviously, big time U.S. soccer fan. Um, I might hit him with the. <laughs> you you see funny. Alexi Lawless, and your your mind goes back to the '90s hacky sack. And Dave Matthews Band, I think, right away. And also, when you, Goatees had a real moment in the 90s. I don't, some of the people listening to this, I don't mean like a well-kept little... I mean like a, you know, King Tut kind of goatee. Oh, yeah. Like the, you know, the... Yep. The goatee was very powerful there. I was going to say, I was going to hit Alexi Lawless with this Babylon B uh, uh, headline that I saw yesterday. We were talking about the NHL and the the player who didn't want to wear the gay pride uh, j- jersey. Uh, in the Babylon B headline, I'm reading it. NHL player says if he wanted to support the gays, he'd be playing soccer. That is what that is the Babylon B headline. That is really funny. And you 100% of you are a sports fan read that. You laughed. Every single sports fan who reads that will laugh, I believe. A lot of them are woke and will claim they did not laugh. But anyway, I'll ask him about that. Um, So, I teased, Buck, this audio that I heard yesterday. So, this uh, this individual has been charged. I, I need to remember his name. By the way, Allie says, not only did I get Lexington and Concord wrong, Buck, she grew up. Uh, in Lexington, Mass., and Concord. So I actually whiffed on her hometown. Uh, I have toured but the Lexington and Concord, by the way. Um, so uh, so it was a whiff not only by me historically, but also, of course, Allie actually is from the place that I whiffed on and got in the wrong state. But do, uh, do we tell everybody that the reason we're talking about this, Alexi Lawless, uh, New Hampshire because of Carolyn Levitt, because the Clay and Buck podcast stream now, yes. even if you listen to our full radio show, there are now additional episodes, sit-downs, talks going into the Clay and Buck feed. So really, even if you're just a radio listener, subscribe. The iHeart app, uh, a really good place to go this weekend. Catch up on some of There's stuff in there that you will not get on the radio show. Yeah, tons of it. And so uh, I would encourage all of you out there to go subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a moment. Um, so the, the, the killing that happened also in Massachusetts, uh, this uh, alleged killing, because we still don't have a body, they have arrested this woman's husband for the charges. And as Anna part, Walsh, right? Isn't that her name? Yeah, is Anna that her Walsh. name? What's the yeah. husband's name? Do you remember? Um, 
Something Walsh. I don't remember his first Brian name. Brian Walsh. Brian Walsh. I whenever think whenever you're husband. talking about somebody who's accused of a grisly murder, you know, you always want to get the name yeah. exactly right. So yes. he has been arrested, accused of murder. This is what it sounded like as the jur- as the judge read the evidence against him. In particular, there have been allegations that he was using Google to look up things that were very incriminating. But when you hear them read back to back to back in the timeline, if you haven't heard this, your jaw is about to drop. This was in Massachusetts as part of the hearing in front of the judge. This is the evidence arrayed against this individual, Brian Walsh. At 4.55 a.m. on January 1st, he searched how long before a body starts to smell. At 4.58 a.m., how to stop a body from decomposing. At 5.47 a.m., 10 ways to dispose of a dead body if you really need to. At 6.25 a.m. on the 1st, how long for someone to be missing to inherit. At 6.34 a.m. on the 1st, can we throw away body parts? At 9.59 a.m., can identification be made on partial remains? At 11.34 a.m., dismemberment and the best ways to dispose of a body. At 11.44, how to clean blood from wooden floor. At 11.56 on the first, luminol to detect blood. At 1.08, what happens when we put body parts in ammonia. At 1.21 p.m., is it better to throw crime scene clothes away or wash them? I mean... Oh, my God. Now, those are Google searches. It basically, as and, and some of you, if you couldn't hear every word, you can go watch. I, I shared this video on my Twitter feed. You can scroll down and you can go find it of him standing there as all these Google searches that they had uncovered were read out that he had allegedly com- uh, done in the wake of his wife's departure. Uh, we don't know what happened to her, right? So if you're the defense attorney and you hear all that evidence that we just played, of all the things that he was searching for, also he went and bought $450 in cleaning supplies from Home Depot and was caught lying about that. I don't know. The only defense that I can think of, Buck, is that this is like Gone Girl. Did you see the movie Gone Girl? Yeah, but I mean, unless he has you know seven chapters written over the last six months, so you're talking about the murder, the murder novel defense, yeah, right? Well, no, no, he could do the murder murder novel defense. The one that I I think the only yeah. one that actually applies here is that his wife set him up and that she still spoiler alert spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie Gone yeah. Girl the idea is the husband killed her and she actually fled and set him up this guy's going to prison for a very long time as he as he well should uh, that's you know, obviously these defenses are very highly theoretical and, and not going to sway a jury given this is the closest thing. I have ever seen in any criminal case, uh, and I think anyone has ever seen in a criminal case, to effectively a, um, it's almost like a confession by Google, by Google search. Yes. That's a confession good way by it. Google search, meaning you're like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. He, he goes through these things. There's no way to explain any of that in the real world that doesn't make it seem obvious that this is a guy who was planning the murder of his wife. I mean, the whole thing is, I think they have three kids. It, well, you know, it's, it's sounds like he so was monstrous. trying maybe to get life insurance money is maybe yeah, the motive, over, motive if you're wondering what was going on there. But to, to try to plan, uh, first degree murder through your, you know, through Google searches, it just show, I mean, a lot of people just have no understanding 
of the internet searchability, you know, the, the fact that every, that everything is effectively logged always and forever. Um, and that these are things, now, in this case, obviously it's good because there's additional evidence here, but even in the, um, you know, it's good that, that this guy was so sloppy because I think he's going to end up getting very easily convicted. Um, but he, even in the case in Idaho, there's somebody who was studying criminology, which yes. is, uh, which was an, another aspect of this as we talked about and, um, studying criminology and didn't really understand cell phone tower geolocation and how all of that works, but also how it would look to law enforcement, how they can piece this together. Things like turning the phone off just during the murder period is itself an indicator that something was going on, right? That doesn't cover you if you never turned your phone off for six months previously at that time. Um, so there are some of those things that come together. And, and you know, Clay, we, we talked about the uh, uh, how there looks – there are reports. These are not confirmed by law enforcement. There are reports in the media that there was some effort by the alleged – quadruple murderer in moscow idaho to reach out to one of those one of those young women um just another indicator of you know social people are are social media puts a lot out there and can create a lot of problems for for folks even if they don't even if they don't do anything wrong just the information that they put out there can be can be used against them one of my buddies and i used to think he was crazy um one of my buddies was always super he was super careful that he never posted anything on social media when he was still at the venue. And I always thought that was kind of crazy. And then later I'm like, you know, I kind of see that argument. There's a guy, but if you're a girl and you're listening to us right now, given how easy it is for people to keep tabs on social media accounts, posting like a photo from a bar that you might be at or somewhere that you're out with friends while you're still there probably not a good idea right like wait till you get back home post them the next morning whatever it might be instead of giving people a target theoretically of where you are i'm sure you you know you you probably are covering this on outkick because of the sports component of the story but this gymnast and tiktok sensation olivia dunn yeah she has had to get police involved because of social media you know because of social media fans and people increasingly everyone's sharing they're sharing where they are. They're sharing who they're with. They're sharing where they're going. You know, when you become a, a figure of, of public influence like this, even if you're a TikTok influencer or Instagram star or whatever it may be, there are a lot of crazy people out there. Olivia and I think, you know, Dunn. I think people don't learn the security protocols that would be necessary and helpful for them to stay safe if they're going to have millions of people looking at all their photos and their day to day lives. Olivia Dunn, for those of you who don't know, is a LSU women's gymnastics star. I mean, LSU has a great gymnastics program. She is probably the highest earning NIL uh, female athlete in the country. That's name, image, and likeness, which is now legal. She's made millions of dollars. She's good-looking, smart, savvy on TikTok and Instagram and all these sites where people in their teens and their 20s would spend a lot of time, but it has brought with it an unbelievable crush of attention. And frankly, I don't think it's... If you were a member of, say, the LSU football team, they're kind of used to the... Joe Burrow had a lot of fans, right? And they're, I think, kind of aware of how to handle that. I don't think that they've ever experienced anything like this in gymnastics like they would have in football or men's basketball where 
the onrush and the amount of attention from fans would be so overwhelming. But she's a great example sometimes of the pratfalls out there. You know, there's a convention out in Las Vegas. People refer to it as SHOT Show. It's a convention of gun manufacturers, ammunition suppliers, and all the industry members that focus on sports firearms. It's a popular convention. It's actually hard to get tickets to admission. One product that really stands out, something called the Mantis X. This is a firearms training system that is a no-ammo, all-electronic way to improve your shooting accuracy. simply attaches to your firearm like a weapon light and allows you to train from home practicing your shot without using ammunition. It's both effective and fun. The Mantis X gives you data-driven, real-time feedback on your technique and guides you through drills and courses. Nearly everyone using Mantis X to train improves their shooting performance within 20 minutes' time of using this device. This is a product now also being used by the U.S. military and special forces. It's military-grade technology at an affordable price. The Mantis X is a must-have for every gun owner. It's going to benefit your aim and make your shot so much more accurate. Get yours at MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. From the front lines of freedom and truth, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 